Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Michelle Boggs. She's the Executive Nonprofit Industry Advisor for Classy. Michelle, thanks so much for taking the time. Steve, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here with you today. Uh, I'm really pleased to be introduced to you to talk a little bit about the State of Modern Philanthropy Report. Uh, I've had a chance to go through it, and it's available online. We'll have links in the show notes for other people to be able to uh, directly get uh, copies of this information. But before we talk a little bit more specifically about that, could you just talk with me a little bit about uh, your role at Classy, the work that you do there? Sure. And if it's okay, before I do that, I just wanted to sincerely thank you for the great content that you put out with Next in Nonprofits. I think you guys um, really create such diverse topics and really, really interesting discussions. I listened to one uh, a few weeks back when I saw that we were going to have time together. And it was just fascinating around like myths and science uh, related to fundraising and about the innate need to be generous. And I just think some of that um, is interesting about what I'm going to talk about today. So I just want to say thank you for all the great work that you do uh, for the the nonprofit sector. Yeah. So I um, have the great pleasure of working at Classy. I serve as executive nonprofit industry advisor and I joined Classy about eight months ago. And my role is really unique. And I think it just speaks volumes about the company and our obsession with our customer success and our commitment to the sector and just helping folks raise as much money as possible to help as many people as possible. So in my role, I serve as an advisor. I work with existing customers on Classy to really provide that strategic partnership to help them reach their different fundraising goals and work with prospective customers to really see the true ROI and value in adopting a platform like Classy. I do a lot of speaking engagements on behalf of Classy. I attend a lot of conferences to really help shape Classy's point of view and to make sure we're staying incredibly relevant within the sector. And then I think the best part of my job is I work with all of the teams at Classy, marketing, our go-to-market sales teams, product, to really make sure that we speak in an authentic voice and we really understand our customers and the sector as a whole. I spent the last year, uh, last 20 years in the nonprofit sector raising money. I worked at all different types of organizations, different sizes, probably every role you can imagine. (laughs) And I've come full circle, Steve, because I was a customer of Classy's twice and was actually um, a part of, you know, bringing on the platform and going through the adoption and was able to see firsthand what success we had in conversion and providing a really great, fun, comprehensive giving experience online. And so I feel like I'm working at a place where I really believe in what we're able to do for the sector. So it's been a great role, really, really thrilled to be here and um, just a lot of gratitude in the work I get to do every day. Right. So uh, for folks that don't know Classy, just as a platform and what it does for nonprofits, could just give a brief description of that. You've been a customer before. Now you're working on this side of it. Uh, what does Classy do for charities? Yeah. So Classy is an online fundraising platform, and we work with about 6,500 nonprofits of all different sizes and causes. And we just really focus on that online giving experience. So anytime a transaction happens, whether it's through a main donate button, whether it's through 
um, online, folks are giving to an auction or giving to a call to action during an evening event. Maybe it's a crowdfunding campaign, all things peer to peer. We have classy pay. So we're just an all in one suite for online fundraising. And classy is also a part of GoFundMe. Um, not sure if your listeners are aware of that, but about a year ago, we were acquired by GoFundMe. And it was really with this vision and passion of connecting the millions of individuals setting up campaigns and spreading generosity on GoFundMe with, like I said, the over 6,000 nonprofits using Classy, really creating that network effect and being able to really um, change the sector for good because we're connecting individuals with causes they care about. And it's just a really unique opportunity ahead of us with the combination of both organizations. Yeah, I was really interested to hear about that um, connection between those two things, because I think as we talk about reasons people give, uh, certainly there's the traditional charitable function kind of thing, but uh, GoFundMe uh, being a, a different way of thinking about generosity and how people choose to contribute to other folks. And I think in some cases with the nonprofit sector, that um, leads to feelings of, of uneasiness, like, wait a minute, we're being disintermediated here. And it, mm -hmm. it's good to experience all the ways that people can uh, be impacted and decide to make a gift to support a person, a cause, uh, whatever the thing may be that they want to do. Uh, but your new, this current report comes from data from both sides of those houses, right? This new uh, state of modern philanthropy report uh, utilizes information both from give, uh, GoFundMe and from Classy, right? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, we're just starting to scratch the surface with the power of what we can do with both combined companies. And I think some of what the data is going to tell us and some of the tools and resources we'll be able to create and provide to the sector in the future. But this particular report, we um, looked at over 34 million people who had donated or started a campaign across both platforms. And then we um, looked at nearly $5 billion, which was raised for nonprofits and individuals over both platforms. So very, very rich data for us to look at, um, which I think, again, makes this report really unique and really helpful to the sector. And why take the time and energy to create this report? What do you, um, how, how do you see that being helpful for both your missions at Classy and GoFundMe, as well as the charities that you serve? Yeah, it's so funny you you asked that because I was just on a call a couple hours ago with one of our awesome customers and they were, you know, asking me, what trends are you seeing, Michelle, like in your role? And it's funny because you think they're immersed in it. They're living it every day, working in the nonprofit sector. But I could really empathize with them of most nonprofit people are the busiest people you'll ever meet. They're wearing <laughs> multiple hats. They're under-resourced. You know, there's never enough hours in the day. So oftentimes we don't have the time to sit back and really, you know, do research, read articles, stay abreast of the industry. So I think the passion behind a report like the State of Modern Philanthropy, which Classy has been doing since 2018, similar to our Why America Gives report that we put out every year that really tracks donor behavior. These reports are really important because we provide like information that nonprofit professionals can access quickly. They can digest it. It gives them a pulse on the wildly changing landscape that's out there. It empowers them to think about tools and new strategies ways to reach new audiences, to sustain engagement. 
and really maximize that supporter lifetime value. I mean, we're all up against the same challenges. Donor uh, retention numbers are always really, really poor for the sector. Donor count has been continuing to decline for the last 10 years. And just recently at AFP in New Orleans, the Fundraising Effectiveness Project released their report and a lot of their data, and they talked about for the first time since 2012, so for the first time in over a decade, actual overall dollars, we've seen a dip. They also talked about um, lower performance in Giving Tuesday last year, lower performance in end of year giving. So like a lot of these trends are very concerning and a report like this, like the State of Modern Philanthropy can be a really powerful tool to help nonprofits start to think about reaching different audiences, changing the way they've done things over the last few years. And we can't keep doing things the same way and expect the same results. So I think a report like this helps, you know, put that information into the right hands and hopefully helps provide, you know, added resources and tools to a sector that is always in need of more support. Yeah. So in in the challenging times, I think that uh, you, you mentioned already a little bit about uh, trying to maintain uh, donors contributing over time is such an important part of everybody's strategy. But there's always going to be some churn. There's always going to be a need to replace some of those donors that are uh, moving on for whatever reason. And as you look at how you reach those audiences, how you try to connect to people, uh, you've got a few different findings here that I, I think were really important for you to call out. Uh, I'd love it if you could start just a little bit about um, analyzing uh, traffic from social, because I think social media uh, in general is something that the nonprofit sector has spent a lot of time investing energy in. Uh, we're seeing maybe some reduced return on that investment too uh, at this point as those channels kind of throttle our ability to reach people. Um, but that said, there's things to learn about uh, how those channels are impacting our work as we try to go go forward with, with folks. So as you looked at your information, can you just, for folks that don't yet have the paper version in front of them, talk through a little bit about what you're seeing uh, on uh, the, the social tools and what impact that has? Yeah, and, and just to set the stage a little bit, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, if you're at all staying on top of any news or what's happening in tech or social or, or just um, marketing and content and, and reaching folks. It's like the pace of which our industry is changing is hitting such a crazy speed yes. and it, yep. it reaching consumers has never looked more different and it's never been more complex. Um, one of the stats from the report is that 88% of time is spent on mobile using apps rather than the web, which is really astonishing. And I think about, I was recently with one of our reps at Classy. I, I won't say her name, but she's mm -hmm. definitely Gen Z. This is probably you know one of her first jobs. And and she was, I was telling her about this HBO show called Shrinking that I really enjoyed, or maybe it was Apple TV. Anyway, I'm telling her about the show. I'm like, you have to watch it. It's so good. It's so well written. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't have the attention span for a show. She's like, <laughs> I can, she's like <laughs> dead serious. And she's like, you know, that's why I love TikTok. It's like every 10 seconds, it's like something new. And it was just, I mean, I have teenagers, so I don't know why that was so shocking to me. But anyway, my point is like, it, reaching people, reaching supporters, reaching an audience has never been more challenging. Personalization and connection have never mattered more. Throw AI in there, the way that people are searching for information, consuming, internalizing, it's, it's all going to change. But yeah. so successful social fundraising, we know hinges on effective community building. We've got to reach 
donors on the channels where they're already spending most of their time. Like I just alluded to, so much of folks' time is spent on apps and on their phones. And so um, what was really interesting in the report, and this is all Classy data. So if we looked at all of the traffic coming to Classy pages, whether it was a specific campaign for a nonprofit or just their website or a main donation page, all of the traffic from social, the majority of it, 84% of all the social traffic is coming from Facebook. So still the However, biggest dog out there. I mean, yeah, I think yes, it's in a, before we yes. move on to the, the conversion yeah, sure. questions and other things, just a second about that, because uh, I do think that as uh, other platforms get uh, news coverage and, and you know, things break and uh, uh, all, all these other things happen. It's always good to just ground back in the moment that, you know, that three plus billion active user community is still the biggest thing out there. And it apparently is still effective at actually getting some of those users to motivate to do some things. Uh, again, probably when there's a good community on those platforms to, to heighten it. But I really think it's worth just putting a pin in that moment around uh, don't dismiss Facebook as, you know, this, uh, um, you know, older uh, technology that, uh, you know, is somehow on the decline. Uh, yeah. Very much the, the thing that is going to be most impactful in a lot of these types of communications if you've built a community there. Yeah, 100%. I think you start to hear about these other platforms. And as a nonprofit leader, you might panic and think like, well, we're not doing anything on that channel. Are we are we completely missing the bus? And Facebook and Instagram are clearly top traffic drivers. We know that um, Instagram specifically, we're seeing about 13% come, come from Instagram, but the mm -hmm. conversion rate, Steve, is almost 23%. So it's nearly double the conversion rate of, of Facebook. And why these are both really tried and true social platforms, I, I would like to call out, I thought this was interesting, that LinkedIn, we're only seeing 1% of traffic coming from LinkedIn, but the conversion rate is 33%. So what that tells us is, you know, is there potentially, is this potentially an attractive place to target high intent and potentially high net worth donors? And, you know, you still have to keep a pulse on things like TikTok, things like Twitter, Snapchat, um, as you start to engage more and more younger donors. Yeah. But I, I think just um, a moment on LinkedIn, too, before you move past that, that um, it's difficult with this kind of information to um, know what's correlative and what's causal. And uh, here, mm -hmm. I think if we look at uh, the percentage of people that are actually sharing fundraising messages on LinkedIn, how many nonprofit organizations have pages that are actively community supported? How many, you know, it, exactly the, the board members, the individuals, they probably have a LinkedIn profile. Um, are they using it? Are they promoting that stuff? Are they not? Of the few people that are effectively using that channel, they're seeing some really remarkable results. But it is kind of hard to know when you go to your average ordinary um, uh, nonprofit webpage and there's always the link for Facebook. There's pretty often a link for uh, Instagram. Don't often see that charitable LinkedIn page connected. And I think we're missing an opportunity for a platform that is giving us more connection for community building than some of these other algorithmic driven sites are um, and clearly seeing some results from that in your data where only very few people are being driven because there's just not that many messages around this on those platforms. But of those people that get those messages, they're seeming much more willing to act than some of the other folks that are seeing those messages. 
I couldn't agree more. I, I think you bring up such a good point around, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you go back to your team and you think about your board, you think about some of your key stakeholders, you think about those with a lot of, you know, influence with, with big community groups behind them. It's a really simple share to talk about your organization on LinkedIn, to promote mm -hmm. the work that you're doing on LinkedIn. That's such an easy way to engage a board member, to engage a donor, and we're seeing really, really strong conversion rates. So I think the message is like, we know that the tried and true social platforms are driving the majority of the traffic, but thinking about the TikTok and the Snapchat of, of just starting to figure out, okay, if I'm tapping into these, I want to tap into these younger generations of donors, what might be a meaningful way to show up in those channels if we know that usage is only going to grow? As an example, TikTok is the top downloaded app in over 40 countries and has 150 million monthly active users just in the US. So although the numbers aren't aren't there yet, when you look at you know traffic we're seeing from social to classy, it's only gonna grow over time for sure. So just what is your strategy gonna be? Yeah, I think I similarly to the LinkedIn question, how many uh, yeah. charitable organizations do you see producing content for TikTok, you know, that are yeah. actively on Reddits and subreddits and uh, you know, using those channels. Uh, before we move on to some of the other things, though, it did surprise me to see uh, Twitter kind of at the bottom of all of those rankings below TikTok, below Reddit, uh, to see less traffic coming in, the worst conversion rate of any of these platforms. How old is this data? And, and is there a uh, an opportunity that um, some of this is a much more recent change? Or do you think that Twitter has been on the downside for you know much longer period of time? You know that's a great question. I, I don't I don't know the the why behind the the Twitter decline. Um, this data is from 2022. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I wouldn't want to speculate as to why. I mean, maybe me personally using Twitter. I don't know if it's just so crowded and noisy with so many different types of messages happening that maybe it's even harder to cut through the the traffic and land a message. I don't know, but um, I think it'd be interesting to look into that. Yeah, it's super interesting data, but I think um, just uh, thinking anecdotally about more recent experiences mm -hmm. as um, organizations like ours at Mixed and Nonprofits and other places are are choosing affirmatively to just not participate in the platform under its current yeah. management because we're feeling yeah. like um, the the way that things are happening over there right now are actually pretty harmful to some communities and it's really difficult. But to see this and know that that was from even before some of the more recent changes, uh, mm -hmm. certainly, again, with announcements of ownership changes and all these other things happening in 2022, there may have been some precipitory information, but it shouldn't have been quite as dramatic as what you're seeing here. And it's really good to point that out to people that if you're still thinking, well, I can't leave Twitter because it's, you know, such an impactful community. It's got all these things. If it's about your, you know, connection to donors, uh, at least this data set is not, you know, very encouraging to say you should be yeah. sticking around because of your connection to donors. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, so that's, you know, where some of those people are coming in is one point of it. And again, that causal versus correlative thing, uh, of course, you're not going to get much you know traffic from TikTok if you're not publishing to TikTok, if you do not have a strategy to put information on there. Um, so I think that's one of the call outs I see here is to really understand the future of those audiences and to think about how are you um, connecting authentically in that space. To your point, you're not going to be able to just repurpose your 15 minute experience explainer video uh, onto TikTok. That's not what that platform does. So it's really important to think about uh, how are you going to build a connection with audiences that maybe are using that tool and when, uh, because, you know, we all do have finite amounts of time. So it is challenging to say, boy, I, I already got a Facebook presence going. I've already got an audience there. It's driving 80 something percent of the traffic over to the site. Not a bad conversion rate, not the best, but not bad. Maybe I'm just going to wait a little while on these other audience tools until such time as uh, I really can't wait anymore. And that's, of course, a decision for every charity. Yeah. And, and what I think makes a report like this so helpful, which we talked about in the beginning of the conversation, is like I've seen lots of statistics and I've talked to a lot of nonprofit professionals, you know, specifically on the marketing and comms teams is like oftentimes they have a hard time measuring ROI from their social channels and the investments that they're making or they're overinflated and they're not getting yeah. a real picture on how they're performing. So if anything, especially if you're a, a midsize or smaller nonprofit, you might not have the resources using this as, again, sort of a guide of like, if we fell into the norm, this is where we should allocate our resources, at least for now. And we'll, we know we'll see better conversion rates, or we most likely will see better conversion rates. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm going to jump ahead for a moment, because this I think is relevant right now, a little bit later in the report where you talk about um, seeing that second gift or subsequent gifts from people, um, that folks that are able to make a small first gift are less likely to come back and make a second gift of any kind. People that are making a larger first gift, much more likely to come back uh, and, and make that second gift. So I think part of that may, again, at least in correlation, if not in, in any kind of causal relationship, line up to that Facebook thinking of, it's like, well, yeah. what's the population on Facebook these days? Is it people with more disposable income? Is it folks that are a little bit older that you know maybe uh, have more of a tradition of giving? Thinking through those questions and say, well, I think the long-term strategy of connecting with newer audiences is going to be really important. And today's strategy of who's going to be able to make those gifts and maybe keep coming back to make those gifts could be that the um, Facebooks, maybe even to some degree, Instagram type donors are there. Certainly, I think LinkedIn um, is mm -hmm. absolutely places to be thinking about that. Um, but it is kind of a shorter term strategy versus that longer term one. And I, I hope our uh, listening audience is, is thinking uh, about that longer term question in addition to needing to meet today's goals. Uh, I certainly get that. But I, I did find that very interesting that those folks that could afford those higher um, gifts at the beginning are just so much more likely to consider a second gift or make a second gift. Yeah, I can um, double click on that a bit if you'd like. Yeah, that would be helpful. Please. Yeah. So I think, you know, so much of this report is really talking about creating a direct giving experience for every donor. So, it, you know, not a one size fits all. We know that no donor journey is the same. So their giving experience should should not not be the same either. You know, it should fit what they're yeah. looking for. So at Classy, we have something called embedded forms. Um, and we routinely, if a customer is using an embedded form, we see two times industry average conversion rates. But what that means is, 
someone goes to your site and they never have to leave your page using embedded. So the click through to finish the gift, they never have to leave your site. It's very quick, it's seamless, it's easy, it's intuitive. Um, the, the embedded forms are great for those smaller donations. What we've seen through the data and through this report, which you alluded to, is if someone is going to make a larger gift, we would encourage you to take them through the journey of going to a standalone page that provides more of an opportunity to tell your story, share videos. It's more of like a curated experience with maybe more text and pictures and impact reports or impact blocks that show, you know, $50 does X, Y, Z, $1,000. So it's like giving more information because a donor has maybe more intent and is going to make a larger gift. But we also don't want to lose out on those quicker, um, smaller gifts that could eventually become recurring donors. You just got to make sure their first giving experience is seamless and enjoyable. So I think it's just depending on the level of the gift and what they want to do and how they want to support your organization, that journey and gift and user experience needs to look a bit different. Yeah, no, I, that's really interesting learning because I, I think part of the uh, the maybe gut reaction of the fundraiser in the community is get the first gift. You know, I, I, we, yeah. we need to connect with you. If we make it too hard or if it's too confusing or whatever, uh, you're you're going to maybe move on and not make that first one. We won't have the chance to make our case again later, all those things. Uh, but that may belie the opportunity to say, well, maybe help people gate to, yeah, really, I'm, I'm only going to do you know 25 bucks right now i'm only gonna do 50 bucks i i want that to be fast i'm gonna make that gift and, and move on versus the well you didn't ask me for the big gift <laughs> so i made the small one because that's what was right in front of me when i landed on your page and you know nobody said hey if you're really interested in what's going on here let me help you step through this more meaningful connection and and think that part of it through so i do feel like there may be that opportunity from what we're seeing here that maybe more of those folks would make that more meaningful gift if we didn't let them off the hook right away with that um that really quick hit we don't want to lose you so please make the fast gift thing uh no, no real way i think from this data set to uh, understand that is is that true or do you think that maybe there's some conclusions to draw there yeah i think a couple surprises that came up in the report that sort of are are related to what we've talked about a little bit is is this idea of like trying to recapture uh capture recurring donors so we know it goes without saying that you need recurring donors. They're critical, you know, as the lifeblood to your organization. If you know you can count on that revenue for sustainability, for strategic planning, for growth in the future. Uh, we have found that recurring donors are nine times more valuable than one-time donors. But here's what's really interesting is nearly a third of those recurring donors became recurring donors within 90 days of their first one-time gift. Mm. So capturing that moment of gener generosity that momentum that feeling of like i did something great i helped i want to i want to get involved so asking again and asking sooner the data is telling us is important and you'll have a strongly likelihood to turn them into a recurring donor um and i think that's a little bit some of the the gofundme data steve backs this a little bit because one of the things we found in this report is that on gofundme the fundraising campaigns that were shared more than six times in the first few days of being created 
are three times as likely to raise more donations. So I think it's this idea of like, again, like creating urgency, mm-hmm. building off of momentum, shared generosity. I think it's like, you know, I just gave to Steve's GoFundMe campaign. It's important to me. It should be important to you too, because I'm sharing it with my network. I'm sharing it with my friends. So taking some of that and applying it to building a recurring giving program is I think, don't be afraid to ask quicker, ask sooner, ask again to build off of that momentum. But when you do that, you've got to look for other ways to create like a multifaceted way for them to get involved in your organization. Another thing from the report that's all related to this, and I think really backs what we're saying is supporters who participate in multiple campaign types with your organization are four times more valuable than a supporter who participates in a single campaign. So as an example, when I was at a children's hospital, we would we were really, really big into Giving Tuesday. We would spend a lot of effort building up to it, planning for it. Giving Tuesday would come. We, I would never think to ask that person again. Like to me, that was their gift. Maybe in the, the following calendar year, I would ask. I would certainly ask the next Giving Tuesday because you know they were a Giving Tuesday donor. But I think what this data would tell me is like, no, in fact, I should be looking for other ways to get that Giving Tuesday donor involved in my mission. So can I invite them to an event? Can I ask them to share their story? Can they set up a peer-to-peer campaign? Can they join a team for a race? Like, And they mm-hmm. don't always have to be monetary asks. You know, it's just providing those engagement opportunities, especially depending on their age and their interests and all those things. Um, they're going to become way more valuable to my organization than just hoping every Giving Tuesday they'll remember my organization. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, it really does lead back a little bit on the, as we go chronologically in this report to this idea of, uh, you know, the, the value of that uh, larger donor coming back, the value of people doing recurring donations. Those are all important parts of this. But as I said, way at the beginning of the conversation, you know, there's going to be churn there. You're going to have drop off and you need to replace those donors. What are the tools? What are the things that we're seeing more effective ways to bring those people in? Uh, and, you know, peer supported campaigns, whether they're attached to an event or if they're just online, is, certainly is something that your data is lifting up as one of those opportunities to introduce yourself to uh, other organizations using that relationship with that primary uh, peer campaign supporter, whatever that may be. Uh, th- this isn't surprising information, but it is still out there and and actively important in the report that you're lifting up about how peers can help you get through some of that clutter, that if they're sending the email, they're doing the social posts, they're doing those things, uh, you're, you're more likely to get that message seen and have that opportunity to act on it. So um, I, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about um because it was a little surprising to me as I saw the report that just online peer supported campaigns i'm I'm raising money to support you know and here I'll use this very timely example in May of 2023 mm-hmm. I am actually doing a classy peer campaign right now through the National Network of Abortion Funds for just the pill a provider here in Minnesota um, we are using those tools right now to uh, reach out to people and try and and do some of that acquisition. But there isn't an event specifically tied to that. It's May, so we have some time frame around it, but there's not, you know, come help pay for this 5K race that I'm doing or sponsor me for the, you know, whatever the other thing might be. There, But the number of people that are supporting peers 
even just with online options, not necessarily event related, is actually a little bit higher uh, in the uh, response rate than you'd see from event based uh, peer supported campaigns. And that that surprised me a little bit when I read that. Yeah, and I think that's so wonderful that you're doing that. Um, uh, that's awesome. I, I think, yeah, I, I think mistakenly, and maybe it's just me, but I think I've got to feel like it's my peers, some of my peers as well. Is I think sometimes when you think peer to peer, you aut- automatically put it in this bucket of an event, and it's right. so not does not necessarily have to be that at all. And I think you, um, what you're sharing with your passion about the the pill project it is in line with what we're seeing is like, especially younger donors, don't feel much of an as much of an affinity tor- towards a brand, a name, they feel it towards a cause or something going on. So they're much more likely to get behind a cause or an event or something where there's, you know, direct ROI rather than just I'm supporting this regional organization or I'm supporting this big national organization. And so we we see on our Classy platform alone, 80% of individuals who give to peer-to-peer are new donors to that nonprofit. So I think for those listening, you know, feel empowered and excited about the fact that your nonprofit has not only, in my opinion, this great responsibility, but this great opportunity to create communities and create connection and, you know, help break down feelings of isolation. I mean, people want to feel connected. They're more activated than ever, but I just don't think we've done a good job as a sector of like providing those opportunities. It doesn't have to be tied towards a race where you've got to reach, you know, got to be able to run a certain distance or you got to be okay with going out in the heat or all these things that could be, you know, um, exclusive. So I think it's just thinking creatively around, what could be important to my supporter base? What would my existing donors get excited about sharing with their colleagues, their coworkers, their family, their friends? Because we see that younger donors, Gen Zs and millennials, they're much more likely to share on your organization's behalf, to mm-hmm. start a fundraiser on your behalf, all those things. So I just, I don't think we're unlocking the power of this idea of leveraging personal networks to acquire new donors and deepen support. And I just think there's so much opportunity there. Yeah. And to me, this one is a little puzzling kind of in that, uh, you know, why aren't you doing more on LinkedIn category of uh, mm-hmm. th- this isn't new data. Uh, we, we really have seen this tool. Classy has been doing it for years and years uh, available for people to be able to uh, take advantage of when our biggest challenge is expanding the network of people we're trying to talk to and being heard by them. Uh, because, you know, certainly great to be on Facebook, but if you look at your traditional metrics of reach, uh, I, I get we're on this particular report with the campaigns, you know, we're seeing as a percentage of social that is being reached, here's what those numbers look like. But more and more and more on platforms like that, nonprofit organizational pages are deprecated, we're not able to be seen. We need those peers out there doing the work to be able to actually get in front of newer audiences. It's just so important. And I don't see it uh, happening as much as I would expect it to um, to happen. I do think that it's really important to recognize here that your data is showing even slightly higher conversion rates for just traditional peer-to-peer without having to necessarily associate a uh, event with it. Uh, certainly good 
conversion rates with event-based stuff too. So, you know, if you've got those and you love them, you know, that that's grand, but mixing those types certainly seems like a, a good way to continue to bring in new potential supporters. Um, I think one of the challenges here, and correct me if I'm wrong though, is uh, converting those supporters into um, second gifts or more meaningful gifts. The, a lot of those tend to be smaller uh, when they're coming in in these types of campaigns. Those smaller gifts tend to be solo gifts. Uh, it's certainly better to do than to not to do. But if there's any mm -hmm. wisdom that you're seeing in the numbers about how do we try to up that engagement within those first you know, few days, those first 90 days to, to get that person back involved, uh, I certainly think that uh, folks would love to hear any thoughts that you have to share about those. Sure. I would first talk about a, a couple of things and then if it's okay, I'd love to share maybe one of our, our customers um, that uses Classy because they're doing, they're really empowering recurring giving in action. And I think their story will help sort of answer your question. But sure. before I get into that, I think in order for a supporter of your mission to even want to evangelize your mission and um, advocate on your behalf, their experience has to be what they're expecting. And that's going to look different depending on the donor. But if we're talking yeah. about younger people, which we know are more likely to be to do peer to peer and raise money on your behalf, when they go to your website, we found that over half that find out about you on social are going to then go to your website to do their own research and get to know your organization and potentially donate. When they do that, you know, what is that experience like? They're going to be looking for really easy ways to donate. They're going to be looking for a mobile wallet and flexible giving options. Do they do they have to put in a credit card and that's the only way to give to your organization? I can tell you that's going to be a problem. <laughs> if they yeah. have to get up and go get their credit card, I mean, yikes, you know. So what is their giving experience like? Are they able to use Apple Pay or whatever form of payment they like? And then what about the giving amounts? You talked about this earlier. When they go to make a one-time gift, many will not give if the first gift amount is too high. So if $50 is your first gift, that may be too high for these some of these younger groups of donors. So is there a way to do $5 a month and have more flexibility in the amounts that they're giving? If they have a really intuitive, seamless, nice experience giving, they're going to then obviously be more likely to share uh, with their friends and their other um potential network. So that's first and foremost is like, what are they finding when they come to your website to make a gift? We've also seen, Steve, that baby boomers and some of our Gen X donors, when they come to your website, they're going to be looking for financials. Um, they want to see those pretty clearly. So is it hard to find your 990s in your financials or are they pretty clearly um, available on your website. So looking for that sort of trust and transparency in your organization, whereas mm -hmm. some of the younger donors, when they come to your website, are going to be looking for obviously that easy giving experience, but other ways to get involved outside of just giving. So can they volunteer? You know, can they attend an event? Can they share your message on social? Do you have a social media toolkit? Things like that. So anyhow, um, I'll talk a little bit about one of our awesome customers, Denver Rescue Mission. They really were focused over this last year in building a robust recurring giving program. And like you said, historically, folks will come and make a quick gift and then maybe you don't ever see them again. But a big reason why they were so successful is once they built the recurring donation pages on Classy. Again, they were able to do some of that flexible stuff I was talking about. The giving amounts were flexible. The giving experience was easy. Once that happened, 
they then were very intentional in making the donors of all recurring gift amounts, no matter the amount, feel really, really connected to their mission and then to their broader community. And they stewarded each donor through very tailored messaging that helped them feel valued. So whether you were a $50 monthly donor, maybe you gave once a quarter at $10, maybe you made one large gift, but you did it every year, the messaging might be a little bit different depending on that donor and depending on the impact and gift amount. So it was a lot of personalization, lots of tailored messaging and being really intentional with this. They were able to secure over 3,000 active recurring donors, which is huge. That's a really, really big number. And the average duration of their monthly recurring donors was just at four years. And their average recurring donation amount was about $55. So um, amazing metrics. We're really proud to partner with them on growing this recurring um, program. And I just wanted to share a quick quote from their digital marketing manager. We're setting up ads that track existing donors versus new donors and targeting them differently. It's simple to duplicate campaigns in Classy, making it easy to create pages that match each of those ads. We put different Classy source codes on donation pages to test the ads themselves so we can get greater insight into what our audience responds to. I just think that's such a powerful example of, you know, take what you're doing with with this abortion organization. Your messaging, if you were to become recurring, might look different than someone else joining the cause. So it, again, it's just that that personalization and intentionality, and there is there is a path to grow recurring for sure. And I think it's it's should be such a focus for organizations if they can do it. Yeah, and I sometimes feel like we're nonprofit organizations are kind of our own worst enemy there where we're so focused on this year. Uh you yeah, know, not yeah. not the total lifetime value of that gift, not the uh you know what happens next year or the year after, but uh this pressure to say how much did that event raise this year? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, we got $5 from that donor who's now going to give $5 every month for maybe four years, maybe more. Uh, maybe they up their gift, you know, after a period of time. But, you know, that one event doesn't look terribly successful and uh, it we're, we're not great long-term thinkers. And I hope that this information encourages people to start thinking a little bit more about the the impact of those uh, that investment in time and energy to reach folks at a, a place where they are, that that smaller, you know, dollar amount that that maybe gets them into that larger event over time. Uh, Say so we're we're running a little low on time. I, it's been just so interesting to talk with you about all this, and there's a lot more specifics we don't have time to get to. So again, we will have a link to how do people can get access to the report by going to your site and uh, uh, getting a copy so that they can read this stuff directly. Uh, but as we're needing to wind down, are there pieces that we haven't had a chance to cover yet that you're just really excited about that you'd like to raise up before we run out of time? I think just, you know, if anything, I would just want to get across like this resounding message of like hope and positivity. Again, I I think I've said it a few times, but I think there are so many people who want to be generous and who want to help. And it's just a matter of if we can meet them where they are and ask for Mm -hmm. the right donation at the right time. I just, I would, I want to get across. There's so much opportunity, even though it has felt a little bit doom and gloom over the last few months with some of these findings and reports that have come out. But I think there's, you know, there's this overwhelming amount of, of generosity happening and activation and 
especially in younger people. It's just if we can meet them where they are and make it easy and make it fun. I just think there's so much, um, so much out there. And you'll share the link to the report, but go to classy.org. We have an awesome website with so many different resources and tools and a really great blog and all sorts of free things. And we have a collaborative, our collaborative conference coming up in June. I know it's only a few weeks away, but we do it every year. It's sort of like an unconference. We take over a whole street in Philadelphia and we have lots of you know, the best of the best and innovators and great thinkers in the nonprofit sector and people from other sectors as well. And um, it's a two day conference that's just phenomenal. And so check that out. You'll see the collaborative on our website and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk more if after you read the report, if would love any feedback or thoughts or discussion because um, I just love this stuff and, and, and think it's great. Uh, so quickly, uh, Philadelphia, not San Diego, uh, for the event is that? Yeah, uh, yeah, we're hosting in Philadelphia this year. Okay, uh, yeah. for those that maybe didn't pick up on Classy, uh, the, there's a, a history there with the organization of Stay Classy uh, San Diego. So, uh, you know, pick up the fun and and enjoy that. But glad that you're getting around to different communities to share and learn, and I think that's fantastic. Uh, so, I, but we do have to wrap up. So I'm just going to say one more time, thank you so much to Michelle Boggs. She is the executive nonprofit industry advisor for Classy. Michelle, thanks for taking the time today. Steve, thank you. And thanks for all the great work that you do. It was great, great spending time with you.